0: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, my father took a, a break from preaching at one time in his life and was a hotel and restaurant inspector for AAA. Um, and my understanding is the way that he got the job is that he told AAA when he applied, I like to eat and I like to sleep and I'm opinionated, so I think I'd be great for this job. Um, and a lot of people think that that sounds like an amazing job because yeah, he got paid to stay in hotels and eat at restaurants and write a review. But I saw how much paperwork that and that would take all the fun out of it for me. I saw the, the the boxes and boxes of paperwork that he had to do, and I would not I would not want that job. There, there was he was telling me once that there was a day that one of the hotel he did one hotel didn't really muster very well, and they didn't get the grade they felt that they wanted, and the hotel. Uh, in uh, the the hotel manager owner said well this the, this this was this was uh, the, you did this you lowered our grade because you were a racist and my father said racist and the hotel inspector said or the, the hotel uh manager said well you don't like people from india and my dad said first off this would be a very difficult job to do if that were true <laughs> um because the statistics are true. I mean, there, there are a lot of hotels that are owned by people from India. Um, the, second, the second thing Dad said, before you pursue this further, you may want to find out a little bit about my family. So, to tell you guys, uh, my, growing up, uh, my, my sister Cherish and I were born in Scotland. And then my parents started collecting foster kids, like I collect comic books. Um, Ta... I'm not, even sure, I'm not even sure where they all come from. Because uh, there were two ma- There was Ta, and there was On and Hung, the brothers, and there was then Jan, and then there was Voot, and then there was Michael. Um, Jan and Michael got adopted eventually. Uh, Ta lied about his age. I, I mean, no hard feelings. You do what you got to do to get out of a bad situation. Um, but it turned out he, you know, some, some people from East Asia look a little younger than they really are. He wasn't that far off in age from my parents, it turns out. Like a year. He was a year younger than my parents. On um, and hung came before the rest of their family came, so then they got reunited with their family. That was awesome. Voot, uh, he didn't feel it was a great fit. He was significantly older than the rest of his kids, and uh, not, not as significantly over as Ta was, but he was older too. But we adopted Jan and, and Michael, and Jan, uh, uh, M- Micah, Michael came from Mother Teresa's orphanage in India. My parents are the least racist people I have ever met in my life. When, when they say you can't really be colorblind, I completely disagree. Uh, my parents have, have, have proved that. Um, uh, Jan came from Cambodia, war-torn. It took some jumping through some serious legal hoops to adopt her. And that's a story in its own right um, that... You know, the, 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 it, 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 when it was all said and done, Governor Cuomo of New York kind of stuck his fingers in it and helped us. And it was, there was a lot going on with, with that situation. I, I like adoption. Adoption's amazing. I, ad, ad, you know, I, I liked having foster kids, but adoption, adoption is in many ways miraculous to me. Because I get loving your own children that you conceived and gave birth to, and and I get, but adoption cuts that part out. But they're still your kids. Um, Michael and Jan were raised like Cherish and I were, uh, just as much a part of the family. I forget that they're adopted most of the time. Uh, I I forget that there's not a physical family resemblance. I don't see when at Christmas when I see Jan, I don't see a girl that's different got a different skin tone than I do. Sometimes I make jokes about when Calypso acts like Jan that she obviously inherited those genetics from from Jan's side of the family. And sometimes I make I say that and I don't think about it because I forget that we we got Jan when she was under a year old. Um she's my sister. Uh, she's as much part of, part of my family as cherishes. Uh, they belong. They are my parents' kids. That's how adoption works. If you, uh, if you adopt and treat your adopted kids differently than your natural-born kids, well, then you're doing it wrong. That's not the purpose of adoption. There are those who feel that family is is the most important thing in the world. And my response to that is so, sort of. Our relationship with God, our Father, is the most important thing that you can have. Okay, earthly family, I would argue, is second to that. Um, there are people who put family over God, and that physical earth, earth family over God, and that's a problem. Your family can't save you. It's your relationship with God. Um, we. If if we get nothing else out of out of the life of Abraham, then this, is that God was more important than his son Isaac, and that's not unbiblical. That's not cruelty. Our relationship with God is eternal. I don't a hundred percent get how family works. One day, Jesus gives this. Uh, Jesus. Some people try to trap Jesus with stories about a guy getting remarried and. You know, or, or a girl getting remarried, and whose wife is she going to be when she gets to heaven? And Jesus' response is, you guys just don't get it, and I, do, and I don't get it. I don't understand what my relationship with my wife, with my daughter, will be in heaven, but I know what my relationship with God will be, and he will still be God my father. Um, my, my mom, my dad, my wife, my daughter, they can't save me. God alone saves me. Now, families are wonderful gifts from God. Please don't walk away and say, Jason's anti-family. Just the opposite. They're a gift from God. But I think that they show, I think that they're a window into understanding how God loves us as his children, how he loves the church, how he wants the church to behave towards each other's el- elders or father figures in the church. Um, I, th- I think families are a wonderful window into the, into the mind of God. So we ask this question today as we're in Galatians. Are we children of God? Simple question. Do, do we belong to him? Have, have we been adopted? So turn forward with me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This, Despite invoking Abraham, this isn't about the Jewish people at that time. Uh, yes, we we are all Abraham's seed now. That's that's part of the point of the New Testament. Um, Race doesn't matter. It did once. Uh, Before the coming of Christ, God chose the Jewish people to be, I feel, an example to the rest of the world. And while they were that example, they were indeed the chosen people chosen to be an example of holiness, um, that now now Christians, according to Paul, are Abraham's seed. The promise God made to Israel to be the chosen people now applies to the church, which is who Paul is writing to in in Galatians. Um, To the churches in Galatia is what he says in verse 2. This is to the target audience is important when we read. Galatia was a region. This was written to the churches, to the Christians in Galatia. Um, It's a promise of salvation. We have been adopted into the family of God, and now we are saved. Salvation's not as hard as some people want to make it out to be. It's not rocket science. Uh, you you don't need to go to Bible college. You don't need to know Greek and Hebrew. Good news. Uh, you don't need to be an expert on the Bible. I, I say that hesitantly, only because that doesn't give you excuse to say, "Well, Jason says I don't need to be an expert in the Bible, so I don't need. I'll never pick this book up again." Obviously, we want you to read the Bible. It's God's word. It's His blueprint. On how to live a life pleasing to him. It's a great book to become an expert in. Too many people say, Well, I don't understand the Bible, so I can't do. I know churches that I I know of churches that run hundreds and can't find anybody qualified to be well, they can't find anybody who's willing to serve to be an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher because everybody throws up their hands and says, Well, I'm not qualified to do that. Well, then get qualified. The churches still need Servants, servant leaders. Um, I, I think people have this idea. Maybe they look at the preacher and say, well, I'll never have the opportunities to learn what he did in Bible college, so I shouldn't even bother trying. And that's, that's a shame, and that's, that's not at all true. Um, before there were Bible colleges, there were churches, and there were elders, and there were Sunday school teachers, and, 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 and we're grateful for, through, through 2,000 years of church history for all the people that served in that way. And, and as our Bible college are kind of closing, so many of them in the current economy, we can't rely upon that. Um, you, if you know how to read, are qualified to learn what you need to know about the Bible. The most I, <laughs> I had four years of Bible college, and then I went to a Nazarene church in Urbana and was asked to teach A kid's Sunday school class, and I swear I learned more in that first year teaching fourth and fifth grade kids than I did in four years of Bible college, I promise you. Um, There is no question in my mind. Uh, uh, There's something to be said about rising to the occasion, and that when you put it into practice, God God is good to us. Um, Salvation is easy, and it's guaranteed. That's that's the other thing. There's this danger. So, there's there's a couple of false ways of looking at salvation. And there's that once saved, always saved, which is completely unbiblical. The idea that once you become a Christian, there's nothing you can do to lose. You can walk away. The Bible is very, very clear. Jesus says in Revelation, Blessed are those whose names are not erased from the Lamb's book of life, which says you can be in the Lamb's book of life and saved, and then you can have your name taken away. But that's only your decision, just pure and simple. Satan's not strong enough to take you away from God. Nothing in this world can take you away from God, but you can choose to walk away. He gives you that freedom. He doesn't force you to be a Christian. You can start, you can be like Demas, one of Paul's companions, and forsake the mission and walk away. Um, But otherwise, I mean, the beauty is as long, we're, none of us are perfect. We can't follow him perfectly, but he doesn't save us on our perfection. He saves us through the grace of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, you are saved. I don't, I I, I don't worry about people. I I don't think. Well, I hope that they're a Christian. I I, I know who Christians are. Um, and and I know who've decided they don't want to. Be, I had a guy, <laughs> my previous church. I had a guy that came to me and said one day, I don't believe this stuff anymore. I'm gone. That seems pretty straightforward. Um that was his decision, not not anybody else's. No one kicked him out. He just decided one day this wasn't for him anymore. But otherwise, I I know where I'm going when I die. I don't because on the one hand, there's this false sense that once saved, always saved, and that's not that's not true. If you start if you choose to quit following Christ, you've made that decision. But there's this other false idea on the opposite end. Well, I don't know. I don't know if my good deeds outweigh my bad. I don't know if I've been a good Christian this week. That's a horrible way to live. In doubt that you have to earn it, that, that it's in jeopardy that you're hanging on by fingernails. We, we have the assurance of salvation. And Paul speaks to that so much, so much. Um, salvation is assured. I believe in that. Paul says, through faith, you were baptized in him and you are now clothed with him, and that's a promise. This is adoption. Does baptism have a part in this? Absolutely. I'm not trying to get on on a soapbox of restoration doctrine, but this is straight out of the text, isn't it? That's what we just read. Um, All of you... Who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Because we know the target audience. He's writing to the church. Book of Acts is very clear that those who were baptized joined the church. He's writing to the baptized, and he's assuring them, You got nothing to worry about. If you were baptized into Christ, you were clothed into Christ. We're not water regenerationists. Peter's very clear in the book of first Peter, it's not the water that saves you. Through baptism, it's the pledge of a good conscience towards God but it absolutely is through baptism that God does this. That's how he's chosen to portray it. We see that in Acts, we see that in Galatians, we see that in Romans, we see that in First Peter. Um, if you are baptized into Christ, you are clothed with Christ. I don't think it's a hoop to jump through. I don't think it's a test. I just think this is the way that God set it up and how the apostles understood it. I think God chooses to bless us that way, you were all baptized. He just assumes that his readers were baptized because that's how the early church operated. That's his audience. This is an illustrative of what baptism does. We are baptized to serve Christ. We're not baptized to sit in pews, but to serve as he has designed us for. We have this promise of adoption. That when we follow God through his son Jesus, we are his kids. One, I'm going to keep reading in chapter 4, once we didn't have that. And the contrast is important, so we get what we have. Chapter 4, verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father so also when we were children we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world before adoption we were slaves of of god no of course of course not of this world that we were born into sin drags us into slavery and we've been sl- we have been slaves of Satan, ever since. God offers us that chance at adoption. And adoption brings freedom. doesn't force us on it, because that would be the opposite of freedom. He offers us the chance at salvation. See, part of our problem today is that children today, so many of them, are growing up without any rules in their lives. You've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. Kids that think that they can get away with anything, you've seen them acting up in Walmart just as much as I have. And it either drives you crazy, like it drives me crazy, or you're one of those parents that creates those kids. Um, when, ki- when kids don't learn to obey the rules when they're kids, what kind of adults do they turn into? Um, our prisons are overcrowded, full of people who think that the rules don't apply to them. Um, I, God, made, We talked about this in my Sunday school class today. God made men and women, moms and dads, different. Um, moms you never hear stories about moms saying I don't want to do this anymore getting in cars, driving off, leaving dad and the kids behind you almost never hear that because moms aren't wired that way (coughs) moms moms are wired to stay with their kids to love them and we're grateful for that The society would fall apart without moms but I would point out that society falls apart without dads. And I think the proof of that most of the people in prison at something like 90% of prisoners are, are boys that were raised in single parent households. Single mom households. God made us different. We need our dads. We need our moms. We need our dads. Now, Get away from that. Soci- we, children can't govern themselves or raise themselves. And, and neither can our society. We need God, our Father, figure. We need our Father. Um, society goes downhill without God. One of the things that amazes me, looking globally, historically, there's no such thing as an atheist culture, uh, naturally, not not I'm talking about tribes in Africa, tribes in Papua New Guinea. Tribe. Everybody is looking. Everybody knows. Romans chapter one talks about this. Humanity knows there's something bigger out there, and human history is is an attempt of humanity to search for that. Now, through through the Bible and through Israel, God revealed Himself. That special revelation. But there's a general revelation that we're, we know that there's more to it than just what we see. And it is amazing that every culture believes in something supernatural because everybody gets that there is something bigger than us out there that gives life a meaning. And life, even a, even a misunderstanding of God. Take any, any tribal religion, um, even a misunderstanding of who God is is better than no understanding. Because God wired us that way. We want God. We want a divine father. Where are we without being adopted by God? Well, then we're a slave to sin in the world. And that's, and that's no way to live. You guys know the story of Pygmalion? Pygmalion they made into a musical, My Fair Lady. When I was a kid, you had to watch musicals in school. I think our... I suspect our culture doesn't value what I think are kind of bedrock movies and musicals and shows. And My fair lady is the que- asks the question, Pygmalion, asks the question, can we change? Can, can you take a girl from the gutters and make her into a fine lady? Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Well, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing in our value worth saving, uh, except that God saves us because God is love. Now, look with me in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 16, I want to start in verse 4. Just I'm going to shorten it to the minimum verses I can get away with. Chapter 16, verse 4. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. This is God talking to Israel. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born you were despised. and Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood, and as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I want to jump forward a few verses, verse 9. through the prophet God says I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you I dressed you in the linen and in fine linen and covered you with costly garments I adorned you with jewelry I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck and I put a ring on your nose earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head so you were adorned with gold and silver Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was fine flour, honey and olive oil. You became very beautiful and rose to be queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the Sovereign Lord. But you trusted in your beauty. And used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by, and your beauty became his. Israel does not pass the Pygmalion test. God pulls Israel out of the gutter, and they go back to the gutter. Is 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 what God describes through the prophet Ezekiel. God pulls them out of the dust; they go back to wallowing in the dust. And so we might say, so can we not change? These were God's people. Um, and I would say, that's why we have to follow God. Yes, we can change, but this is that word synergy. God offers us change, and we have to accept it. We, God, God has offered us, but we can refuse. And Israel refused to be changed, and to become godly, they had some good times in their history. I'm not saying all Israelites were terrible, obviously, but the story of Israel is that they kept turning away from God and paid that price. And the same thing with us: God has offered us salvation, but it's our job to also follow Him. He has extended His hand to, de- to us; we cannot take, we cannot, we cannot take sal- we cannot be saved without Him. Uh, we can't do it without him. We have to want to belong to him. We could refuse his offer. And if we do, we go back to being a slave to the world, to the principles of this world, despair and death. But we have the blessing of adoption. Back in Galatians chapter, chapter 4, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons, because you are sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Look, the family of God is not a corporation or a business or a nation or an army. The family of God is a family. Uh, that means we don't run the way the world tells us to. The world tells us it's important to have bylaws and various hiring practices. Um, but, but we're not supposed to run like that. We're supposed to run like a family family. Motivated by love, not prophets, and the goal is to grow up in Christ, not win, not make a prophet. The nation of Israel was actually more than a family, than it was a nation. In many ways, it was supposed to be more like a family than a nation. They knew that they were all related. They were all descendants of Abraham. They were bound together under God their father. Um, you know, Case in point, Ruth. You know the story of Ruth. Who, who was a Moabite woman who left the Moabite people to follow her mother-in-law, her, her Israelite mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Israel. Um, Ruth didn't just marry into the family. Ruth became an Israelite. And we don't do that now. If If, I, if Pam had been, I don't know, Korean, Marrying her wouldn't have made me a Korean. That's not how that works. We don't do it that way today. But that was entirely how Israel did it back then. Adoption means that we join the family of God. And we no longer belong to the world. The blessings of the promise mean that we are no longer slaves, but we are heirs to the kingdom. In fairness, remember that the children Children can't do whatever they want, okay? Not until they reach maturity. We also have a charge to mature, to follow the word of God. At the end of the day, we're still the children of God. We're still his kids. And we haven't yet received the inheritance that we have been promised, which isn't just heaven, but really, we keep saying it's God himself. How much do we want? To be a part of the kingdom. How much do we want to be his child? Because it takes boldness. You know, back to that example of Ruth. Ruth is bold. Reminder that Ruth decided that Boaz was worth pursuing and did some, to our modern culture, some pretty incredible things to get Boaz's attention. Sleeping at his feet when he's sleeping outdoors. Um... She, she was bold she pursued Boaz's love very very actively the good news is Christians it doesn't even take that much effort God has already pursued us through the death of Christ he's already offered us salvation it is easy to accept salvation but it also takes a level of courage to continue to follow him um God makes us the offer. We take hold of it and say, I want to be your child. We're not always going to do a great job being his child. And he forgives us. That's what grace is. We just wish to desire to follow God. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 480. I- incidentally, on on the kind of end the story I began with on Jan getting adopted, what I remember because it was a big deal because it took some some real legal hoops to jump through to adopt a war refugee found on the border of Thailand and Cambodia and it took the courts and it took it the news came out and interviewed our family and i remember they asked jan after she was adopted because it was a, it was a huge huge multi-year process How does it feel to be adopted? And what I remember is that Jan said, I feel real. Yeah, that's adoption. I feel real. Hard for any of us who grew up with our mom and dad and just fit in. Hard to imagine. But for those that are adopted, I suspect that 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 resonates with them. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to belong. God gives you that if you want it. You can be adopted. We have that choice. If you haven't chosen to be clothed with Christ, to follow him, to belong to him, let's talk after church. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.